Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Roth. Deep breath, everyone. If you didn't notice, last week's cell phone episode was kind of done in a panic. I thought the document that I hoped to work off for my analysis would be ready on Tuesday, and it was, but I wanted it sorted and filtered differently. Since I apparently am incapable of using Excel properly, and also not great at communicating to Teresa exactly what I needed, long story short, I got the document the way I needed it by Thursday evening and had to have the episode off to Kelly, who was six hours ahead of me at the time, by midnight. Saying all that to say this, I think last week's episode actually went well, and I've loved the input I've received from so many of you this week. But I've spent the last four days really digging through those records and actually taking the time to thoroughly analyze them. Plus, thanks to you listeners, we've filled in some gaps and some missing information. So today, I'm going to give you a concise analysis of the days we've covered and continue on to finish off the weekend. This is Season 12, Episode 28, Relationships. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. As I began breaking down these call logs, something tragic occurred to me. Everything that we know about Becky and her relationships comes from other people. She's sadly unable to tell her own story, and so everything we know about her comes from other people, the men in her life, her friends. We're left with a picture of the relationships in her life that was painted by the very people that we're investigating. With that in mind, for Becky and for the sake of accurate victimology... What I've tried to do here is give us an idea of what was going on in Becky's life based on what she was doing, rather than based on what people said. We've heard about how wonderful Becky's relationship with Jacob was until she just didn't like his driving and broke up with him. And we've heard that she was obsessed with Robert. But after looking at these records, I don't think either of those things are true. I think Robert was just one of a few old flames she was reconnecting with, and I think her issues with Jacob began well before that drive on Thursday morning. 
Our call records begin on Monday night, technically Tuesday morning at midnight, but it's Monday night practically speaking. I read you all these calls and texts from Monday night last week, but when I really charted things out, it seems like there may be some trouble in paradise between Becky and Jacob starting all the way back on Monday. First, let's look at where Becky was and who she was with. My best guess is that she spent Monday night at Javier's house. I say this because there's no phone communication between her and Javier from midnight Monday night until 5.30 p.m. on Tuesday. As I've mentioned previously, that's a pretty good indication that they were together. In the two weeks leading up to the murders, they have over 600 points of phone contact back and forth. If they're not together, they're communicating, generally speaking. So it looks like Becky spent the night with Javier, probably at his house on Monday. It also looks like they were sleeping from midnight when the records begin until about 8.30 on Tuesday morning. Throughout the night, Jacob tries to call Becky four times between midnight and 2.37 a.m. Then, around 3 a.m., he tries to call Javier, but none of these calls are answered. At 6 a.m., Claire tries to call Becky, and that's also not answered. That's another reason why I think she was at Javi's house. She's not with Jacob, she's not with Claire, but she is in the valley somewhere. At 8.30 a.m., Becky's awake. She calls an unknown number, she calls Claire back, she calls her house phone. But what she doesn't do is call Jacob back after his flurry of calls in the wee hours of the morning. In fact, she seems to ignore two more calls from him around 9.20 a.m. It's kind of hard to tell from the records, but we see that Becky's phone connected to a tower, but there's no terminating tower, which I believe means that she didn't pick up the call. Both calls are under two minutes, and Jacob makes them just two minutes apart. They both look like ignored calls that went to voicemail. And around that time, about 9.30 on Tuesday morning, it appears that Becky and Javier both go up the hill to her house. She has no outgoing or answered calls from 9.30 a.m. to 4.14 p.m. when she calls Janelle Picard from the Valley. Several people try to call her during those six and a half hours, but her phone never shows that it connected to a tower. Javier is MIA at that time as well, although it looks like he did attempt to call Jacob around 11.30, but again, it doesn't show a tower connection, like maybe he had a weak signal and tried to make a call but couldn't. While Becky and Javi are up at her house, Jacob tries to call Javier four more times. And we also see Becky calling her own cell phone from the landline at her house. She does this twice, and these calls look exactly like the calls on the night of the murders. So I'm all but convinced at this point that this is Becky checking her voicemail, just like it will be on Sunday night. Now I say that there's trouble in paradise, because at this point Becky has ignored several calls from Jacob. When she woke up in the valley, she doesn't call him back. She texts back and forth with Claire, but no call to Jacob. Then, after missing more calls from Jacob and checking the voicemails that he had left, she finally returns to cell coverage in the valley. She calls Janelle. She makes no attempt to contact Jacob until 11.17 p.m. on Tuesday night. That's 24 hours with no contact when he was trying to get a hold of her and Javier all night and all day. Now let's look at what Becky was doing on Tuesday afternoon and evening. At 4.14 p.m., she's back in the valley, and her first call is to Janelle. And then she calls the Mystery John, who, thanks to listeners Janea and Teresa, is no longer a mystery. 
We still don't know much about him, but John is a guy who Jenea found on Becky's MySpace. Evidently, yes, MySpace still exists, and so does Becky's account. Jenea found a guy named John Caranzi on Becky's MySpace. Teresa cross-referenced him with our phone number for the John on the Cell Records and Yahtzee. So, after missing several calls from Jacob and being out of cell service throughout the day, when Becky was back in coverage, her first call was to Janelle, and her second was to John Caranzi, who was 23 at the time and was friends with Becky on MySpace. As we continue to move through Becky's day, I think she may have ended up picking up a shift at Denny's that night. She has several calls back and forth with this John throughout the evening. She also talks to Claire and gets a text from Javier at 5.35 p.m., but she also calls Denny's three times. At 4.35, 6.01, and 6.07, and at 6.13, she gets a call back from Denny's. I'll get into why I think she went to work in just a minute, but first, let's look at who all Becky talked to on Tuesday evening while not returning Jacob's phone calls. So she talked to John from MySpace, who we don't know anything about yet. She also calls Gray Galky twice at 5.13 and 6.03. Now, Gray is her ex-boyfriend, according to Javier. And also, according to Javier, Gray is a total asshole. And this is what I was referring to earlier. Did Becky think Gray was an asshole? Or did Javier just not like him? I choose to let Becky tell her own story. So all we really know is that Becky wanted to talk to him on Tuesday. We know that because she called him twice. Now this is why I think Becky was working a shift at Denny's Tuesday night. We have the four calls to and from Denny's early in the day. That's reason number one. And number two comes down to narrowing down who she's not with. We know she did not spend the night with Jacob. She finally returns his calls at 11.17 p.m., and that's a two-second call, obviously didn't connect. But she calls him again five minutes later, that also doesn't connect, and both calls show routed on Jacob's end, which means they went to voicemail. Between 11.20 p.m. and 7.30 a.m., Becky calls Jacob's cell phone four more times and his home phone landline four times. She actually connects with him on that 7.30 a.m. Wednesday morning call for just under two minutes. And that appears to be the first time they actually speak from the beginning of our records at midnight Monday night. And I'm not even positive that she picked up that call because, again, it's under two minutes. It should also be noted that Jacob is using his phone up until around 4 a.m. He calls Javier and repeatedly checks his voicemails, but never calls Becky back. It doesn't seem like things are going well, but that's not really the point here in regards to where Becky was on Tuesday night. The point is that she's obviously not with Jacob, and she's also not with Javier. They also exchange several texts throughout the night, and Javier calls her at 2.30 a.m. We also see calls to both Janelle's throughout the night and early morning, and Becky calls MySpace John at 12.54 a.m. and again at 1.16 a.m. At 5.47 a.m., Becky texts Claire, who doesn't text her back until 8.20. So that takes us up to Wednesday morning. On Tuesday night, Becky was not with Jacob, but was trying to contact him. She was not with Javier, but they were chatting until 2.30 in the morning. She was not with either Janelle and likely not with Claire. She also wasn't with MySpace John, for what that's worth. Also, she was up all night using her phone when she wasn't with her friends that we know of. I think she was at work, and it looks like it was kind of a slow night at Denny's.
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Wednesday is a pretty uneventful day. Becky does actually talk to Jacob for five or six minutes at 10.30 in the morning, and they exchange calls back and forth on and off all day, although nothing connects for over a minute, so I don't know if they actually spoke. What's interesting is I really have no idea where she is all day Wednesday. One thing is for certain, she never sleeps. We know for a fact that she's awake from around 3.30 p.m. on Tuesday, and I don't see any long gaps where she's not using her phone all night Tuesday and all day Wednesday. By Wednesday evening, it appears that she's been awake for over 24 hours straight with no signs of slowing down. During the day Wednesday, we see a lot of calls and texts to and from Jacob, Javier, Bolchanels, and a couple texts with Claire. She's in the valley somewhere, but she doesn't appear to be with any of the characters that we're familiar with. We also have another call from Becky to Gray at 11.14 a.m. If I had to venture a guess, I'd say that Becky was probably in class all day on Wednesday. She's in the valley, and she doesn't seem to be with any of her friends, and we know that she was attending classes at COD. I think process of elimination leads us to her being at school until at least 2 p.m. There's a gap in calls to her from Jacob from 2.12 to 9.06 p.m., so she could have been with him at that point, but he says in his police interview that he works at Time Warner from 2 to 8 p.m. on weekdays, so I don't think that's the case. I think they weren't talking then because he was at work which means that Wednesday is the second day in a row that it doesn't look like Becky sees Jacob at all. Now, in his police interview, Jacob says that on Wednesday night, Becky picked him up from a friend's in La Quinta because she didn't want him to drive home drunk. But I don't think that happened either. He didn't get off work until 8 p.m. that night, and the only contact they have is a flurries of calls and texts back and forth between 9.06 p.m. and 9.42 p.m. And it looks like only one of those calls actually connected, if any. I suppose it's possible that Jacob was already drunk and needing a ride home an hour after he got out of work, but I doubt it. Also, Becky's cell phone is hitting the same set of towers from about 3 p.m. until after 10 a.m. Thursday morning. I'm assuming those are the towers around Sky Valley, which is north of Palm Desert, and La Quinta is south of Palm Desert, nowhere near each other. Jacob tries calling her again at 11.36 and 1.22 a.m. and 1.41 a.m., But she doesn't pick up any of those calls, and it doesn't look like he left a voicemail. Now, what I am going to do is I'll walk through the rest of the night, and I'll show you the only possible scenario that includes a pickup of Drunk Jacob. Wednesday night is the night that we have two events described to police by Javier. One was that of the night he says that Robert called Becky, 
He says that he was sitting right next to her when she was talking to him. And the other is Becky leaving her phone in Sky Valley. What we can see from Becky's records is that after 9 p.m., she wasn't with Jacob. She calls him twice at 9.06 and 9.13. He calls her at 9.14 and 9.15. Then again, he calls her at 9.21. Then he texts her at 9.22 and 9.40. And she calls him back two minutes later. Then at 11.36, he calls her. Then again at 1.22 a.m. Thursday morning. And again at 1.41 a.m. So just like Monday night, Becky isn't with Jacob, and he's calling her throughout the night and into the morning. And in both cases, it doesn't look like she ever answered his calls. So before I get into the two events for the night, I want to quickly recap what's been going on between Becky and Jacob for the last week of her life. Monday night, Becky stayed at Javier's, and Jacob was blowing up her phone and Javier's phone all night. In the morning, Becky and Javi headed up to her house. She makes a few calls and texts, but not to Jacob. She goes all day Tuesday without speaking to Jacob despite his constant calling. And throughout the day and Tuesday night, she calls and speaks to MySpace John several times and also calls her ex-boyfriend Gray a handful of times. Tuesday night, it looks like she picked up a ship to Denny's. She finally reaches out to Jacob around 11 p.m., but he doesn't answer. She spends most of the night trying to get a hold of him, calling his cell and his landline. She texts Claire in the morning on Wednesday when she gets off work and possibly goes to her house for a short while before I think she goes to class. Around 11 a.m., she calls her ex-boyfriend Gray again, and from about 3 p.m. on, she's hitting a set of towers I don't see anywhere else on her records other than from then until about 10 a.m. the next day. So I'm thinking this is when she heads to Sky Valley, but not with Javier. By 9 p.m., she appears to be with Javier again. There's no contact via phone between Becky and Javi all night Wednesday after 9 p.m. Just like Monday, Jacob is repeatedly calling both of them all night long. In my opinion, Becky's phone records do not indicate at all that she and Jacob have a great relationship. Not at this point. In the follow-up on Friday, somebody asked if Robert calling Becky could have triggered the breakup with Jacob. I think here's your answer. For at least two days before she ever heard a word from Robert, Becky appears to have been avoiding Jacob. She's not staying at his house, she's ignoring his calls and not returning them. She's staying with Javi and Jacob is calling her all night. And if we take what Austin said as truth, this would be a new development. He said that she was always staying at their house, and yet we're finding that she didn't stay over at Jacob's even one night on the last week of her life. She's also spending more time talking to MySpace John and Gray than Jacob throughout the week. To put it bluntly, it looks to me like Becky's real story is that she wasn't happy in the relationship with Jacob. and The breakup was caused by a lot more than some reckless driving. Not only do I not think Robert was the cause of the breakup, it wasn't even the only ex she was talking to. The calls with Robert aren't new to us, so I won't spend a whole lot of time on them. Robert called Becky at 1.30 a.m. on Thursday, which was Wednesday night. She didn't answer, but called him back a couple minutes later, and they talked for about 10 minutes. And that's the longest conversation she ever has with him. Jacob actually called Becky during her conversation with Robert, and she let it go to voicemail. After the call, Robert and Becky exchanged five text messages. She texts him, he texts her back, her to him, him to her, then her to him, and then that's it. Less than an hour after they spoke on the phone, the conversation is over at 2.27 a.m. And now we have the mysterious case of the phone in Sky Valley. And I gotta be honest, I'm still not sure I have this one figured out. After the 2.27 a.m. text to Robert, Becky's phone is inactive until 8.30 in the morning. 
That's when there's a call from her phone to her landline. It's about a six-minute call. I have no idea what's going on here. I'm trying to piece together her leaving her phone in Sky Valley and going to get it Thursday morning, and I'm kind of struggling to figure out how that happened. First of all, let's not forget, at this point, it's 2.30 a.m. Wednesday night, which is Thursday morning, and based on Becky's cell phone records, she hasn't slept since she woke up at 8.30 in the morning on Tuesday. When she sent that last text to Robert at 2.30 a.m., she had been awake for at least 42 hours unless she snuck in a short nap somewhere. If I hadn't heard the Sky Valley story from Javier and Jacob, I would just assume that the dark period on her phone from 2.30 a.m. to 8.30 a.m. Thursday was just her finally going to sleep. But somehow, sometime after the 2.30 a.m. text, Becky was in Sky Valley and she left her phone there. I don't know what's going on, but I can tell you that it's definitely not as easy as a 1 plus 1 equals 2 equation. Let's start by refreshing our memories about what exactly we're trying to corroborate. So in Javier's September 25th police interview, he said that on Thursday morning, Becky and Jacob were fighting because she found marijuana in Jacob's car and he was supposed to quit smoking. He's a little vague on details from there, but he says that he and Jacob went to Goody's Cafe and Becky met him there. He doesn't say how she knew he was there, which is kind of interesting. Remember, Becky doesn't have her cell phone. Her and Jacob get into a fight, he drops her off, and then he goes to breakfast with Javier. But this part I think I have figured out, assuming that it's true. We know Becky was with Javier Wednesday night, or at least we have good reason to believe that. There is no contact between Javier and Jacob on the phone Thursday morning before we know Becky has her phone back, which is at 10.46 a.m., at least by then for sure, because she's texting Claire. So this is what I think happened. Javier said he was sitting next to Becky when she was talking to Robert that night, but he doesn't say where. Her phone does seem to be hitting some cell towers that don't appear anywhere else in her records that night, so I think they may have been hanging out in Sky Valley most of the evening on Wednesday. In fact... If I'm reading the tower information correctly, she would have been in Sky Valley from around 3 p.m. Wednesday through the morning. So Becky and Javi are hanging out in Sky Valley at a friend's house, and I don't think they drove there together. If I'm right about Becky being in Sky Valley since 3 p.m. based on those weird tower pings, then it looks like Javi drove out and met her there later. He's calling and texting back and forth with her all the way up until 9 p.m. Then the phone contact stops, and Javi says he was sitting next to Becky when Robert called. I know, it's confusing. But when they left the friend's house, they went to Jacob's house. The only way that I can make any kind of sense out of the meetup at Goody's is if Becky and Jacob left from Jacob's house and Javier was there too, but he stayed back. Then they had the fight and Jacob took Becky back to his house. When he gets there, he says to Javier, hey, let's go to breakfast at Goody's. Becky's sitting right there and that's how she knows where they are. So, so far so good, but we're far from having this figured out. At 8.36 a.m., we have the six-minute call from Becky's cell to her landline. Now, that could mean one of three things. One is it wasn't locked, and the person whose house it was left at called the number listed as home to tell Becky that she left her phone. Or, Becky already had her phone back by 8.36 a.m., meaning the whole drive, fight, goodies stuff happened early, like 6.30 or 7 o'clock in the morning. Or, the entire story is bullshit. I think it's got to be one of those three. So at least now we're getting somewhere. There are still some little oddities left, but I think we have a scenario where we can make things fit. Javier in his interview said, quote, 
She picked me up at Goody's and we went out to Sky Valley to go pick up her cell phone because that's what we were planning that day. Which definitely doesn't sound like she forgot it somewhere, but LeClaire doesn't ask for any more details, so who knows? Now, Jacob says in his first interview, quote, Javi and her went to Sky Valley to get her cell phone. She went to somebody's house to pick up. She left. She left her phone at somebody's house. That gets a little confusing because in his September 26 interview, six days later, Jacob says that Becky called Javier while they were at Goody's, but that's just incorrect. Javi didn't receive any calls that morning, and again, Becky didn't have her cell phone. And even if it was a payphone, it would be on Javier's records. But based on the cell towers and everything I just explained, I'm comfortable saying that Javi and Becky spent all evening and most of the night in Sky Valley at someone's house. Sometime after 2.30 a.m., they drove back to Jacob's house, and at some point that morning, Becky and Jacob headed to Sky Valley, got into a fight, and returned to his house. Now, it is possible that Becky picked Jacob up at a friend's in La Quinta, like he said, on her way back from Sky Valley after 2.30 in the morning, but then we're left with, how did Jacob already have his car back from La Quinta in the morning when he and Becky got into the fight? Your guess is as good as mine on that one. But getting back to our scenario... When Jacob dropped Becky off at his house, she said she was going to go by herself. Jacob and Javier went to Goody's. She then showed up at Goody's and picked up Javier, and they go to Sky Valley together. As far as what time this happened, it very well could have been early in the morning. Like I said, she had to have returned to Jacob's house sometime after 2.30 a.m. The more I look at it, the more I think the 8.36 a.m. call from Becky's cell to her landline was Becky using her own phone to call home say that because there's a text message from Javier to Becky's cell at 9.14 a.m. That's only 38 minutes after the call to the Friedley landline. And Jacob is calling Becky's cell at 9.34 a.m. And it looks like she answered that call. So to wrap all this up, I'm not 100% certain that Becky ever did leave her phone in Sky Valley, but I don't see any utility in both Javier and Jacob making up the story, so I'm going to assume that it's true. And it looks like she went there by herself Wednesday afternoon, Javi met her there later that evening, and whoever's house she was at, she was still there at 2.30 in the morning while she talked to Robert. My best guess is that between 2.30 and 8.30 a.m., she and Javi went back to Jacob's. And this would be the first time that Becky has seen him all week. The whole drive, fight, drop-off, breakfast, go-to-get-the-phone-with-Javier thing all happened in that six-hour window. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Now, let's continue on through Thursday afternoon. This is the day that Jacob and Javi both say that after Becky got back from Sky Valley, she and Javi went over to Jacob's house. Javier was chilling in a different room when Becky and Jacob talked for about 10 minutes, and this is supposedly when the breakup occurred. Both Javier and Jacob say the breakup happened after Becky got her phone back Thursday morning. Jacob says Becky called him and wanted to come over, but that's not true. She didn't call him until 5 p.m. 
Now, he called her twice at 9.34 a.m. and at 9.38 a.m. It's a minor detail, but all of this goes back to not letting other people tell Becky's story. Jacob also says that it was probably 1 or 2 p.m. when Becky came over to his house, but Javier says it was right after they returned from getting her phone. And according to Jacob, remember again, he says that he works from 2 to 8 p.m. But then again, Jacob also says that he left for Costa Mesa to stay with his brother right after the breakup. We also know that's not true. I have no idea if Jacob is involved in these murders, but I can say that he is absolutely a damn liar. You cannot believe a word this guy says. Almost everything he tells police can be conflicted with the cell phone records. Since both he and Javier seem to remember the breakup happening right after Becky got her phone, I'm going to assume it happened around 10 a.m. She gets her phone, Jacob calls her twice, they talk one of those times, and then there's an hour with no phone activity. I think that that's when the talk and the breakup happened. So at 10.30 a.m. on Thursday, Becky is now newly single, and based on the call records, that was a long time coming. It looks to me like she was checked out of this relationship already way back on Monday night. And also, I think it's worth noting here that Becky still hasn't slept at this point. She could have squeezed in a couple hours of sleep in the early hours of Thursday morning, but there's definitely no eight hours of beauty sleep in there anywhere. At best, she could have slept for maybe three or four hours. Now, at this point, it's been over 48 hours since she woke up Tuesday morning since she's had any meaningful sleep, and she still has a busy day ahead of her. Becky's active on her phone all day Thursday. From 9.45 a.m. to 3 p.m., it's mostly with her girlfriends. She's texting back and forth with Claire and Janelle Picard all day. Robert calls her at 11.39, and they talk for about three minutes. She also misses a call from home and calls the landline right back for less than two minutes. At 3 p.m., Jacob texts her, and she texts him back. Four texts are exchanged in total. Then at 3.30, Javier texts her. She doesn't respond, and he texts her again 25 minutes later. Then the two of them text back and forth until 4.15 p.m. At 4.35, Becky calls Javi, but it doesn't look like he picks up. And the rest of the day is pretty uneventful. She's texting her friends. She calls home. She might have spent the afternoon and evening with Javier because they have no phone contact from 4.40 until about 11.37 that night. Jacob tries calling her at 8.41 p.m. with no answer, and Becky calls him back two hours later. She sends Robert a text at 11.37 p.m., and he texts her back a few minutes later. And at that same time, Javier is texting her, and then it looks like she finally gets some sleep. Her phone is inactive from 12.30 a.m. until 11 a.m. on Friday. Javier texts her several times. Jacob tries to call her twice, and she gets a call from an unknown number at 1.40 a.m., but she doesn't answer any of these calls or texts. I think the 64 hours straight of being awake finally caught up with her on that Thursday night. I don't know where Becky slept Thursday night. There's too big of a gap in activity to tell. It's almost 12 hours. Plenty of time to have driven home, slept there, and then driven back down to the valley on Friday morning. Or she could have stayed with Claire or possibly even Javi. She could have just headed to his house after 1230 when he texted her. There's just no way of knowing. All I do know is that as the father of teenagers, I really took a breath of relief when I saw that she finally got some sleep. The poor girl had been running ragged all week. Friday is a pretty uneventful day. 
The first activity on Becky's phone is at 11.04 a.m. She calls Robert. The duration is under two minutes, and it looks like it actually went to voicemail. After that, she's on her phone constantly all day talking to Claire, Janelle, her sister Tanya. She calls Jacob around 12.30. The call's under 90 seconds, so again, it's hard to say if they actually connected. Then she's texting and calling back and forth with Javi all day from 12.40 to almost 9 p.m. And that gets us into Friday night. Now remember, Friday night is the night that Javi and Bo are partying in Nick Corline's house, and they end up going to Becky's house to spend the night. According to them, that happened at around 1.30 in the morning. Now, at first glance, I was skeptical about the trip to Becky's because there's no calls to Javier or Bo anywhere around 1.30 in the morning, which makes sense, though, because they were in Pinion Pines where they had no cell service. But still, I wondered how do they get a hold of her. The answer is that, according to Javi, they didn't. In his police interview, he told Leclerc that, quote, Becky said she was going to meet us at 1.30 outside and we'd follow her to her house. So according to Javier, it was planned in advance that he and Bo would crash at her house. And that makes sense. She'd been talking to Javier all day, and there are even two calls to Becky's cell from Bo that night, both around a quarter after seven. So I'm going to say that story tracks. However, it's odd, and I think it's worth at least discussing while we're talking about Becky's relationships. Javi's going to a party with his friends, but he makes plans ahead of time to leave and go crash at Becky's. I'm not saying there aren't perfectly normal reasons for that. Maybe there were just too many people there and Javi and Bo didn't want to sleep on the floor, although Javi says Bo slept on the floor at Becky's anyway. But you get my point. I'm sure you can come up with a million reasons why Javi might want to leave the party and go to Becky's. And he knows he wants to do that before he even gets to the party. Remember, he called from his cell phone, which means he was still in the valley when he made this plan. But I think we definitely have to add to the list of possibilities that Javi just wanted to take the opportunity to be with Becky. They weren't together all day, but there were constant calls and texts back and forth. And personally, I really think that Javier saw the events of the week as his opportunity to finally be with Becky, and he just wanted to be close to her. As for Becky's night, it looks like she was definitely at home by midnight, probably a lot sooner than that. The last activity we have on her cell phone when it had service was at 8.36 p.m. Then we have Javier calling her landline at 8.49, but we have no way of knowing if she was there when he did that. All we know is that it was a five-minute call. But considering the unlikelihood that Javier spent five minutes talking to John or Vicky, and the fact that the plans were made in advance for her to pick up Javier and Bo at 1.30, I'm going to say that it was probably Becky that he was talking to. However, that would mean that Becky was really hauling ass to get home. You lose cell phone reception about halfway up the mountain, and Becky placed a call 14 minutes before this call from Javi. It's possible, but man, it's tight. We don't see any activity on the landline until just before midnight when Becky calls her cell phone to check her voicemail. At first, I thought this was just a gap. Maybe she's hanging out with her parents for those three and a half hours, or maybe taking a nap, painting her nails, whatever. And all of those things are absolutely possible. But also what I realized is that we don't have the house phone records for Friday night. Remember, police only pulled them for Saturday and Sunday, which means that the landline records don't start until midnight on Friday night, which is technically Saturday. All of the landline records we have before that come from the cell phone records of Becky, Javier, Jacob, Robert, Christian, and Josh Ernie. Those are the only cell records pulled by police other than John and Vicky's who barely use their cell phones. The point is that during those three and a half hours when Becky is home, 
and we have no records, she could have been talking to MySpace John, Greg Gulke, her sisters, Claire, Janelle, or anyone else whose cell records aren't in the file. All we know is that she wasn't talking to any of our main characters, for lack of a better term, during that time. So from 8.36 p.m. to midnight on Friday night, we have a question mark. But at around midnight, Becky calls Jacob five times. All three times go to voicemail. At this point, he's in Costa Mesa or at least is on his way there. Also by this point, we have the landline records. So we see that she makes calls to an unknown number and makes a call to Robert that goes to voicemail between the Jacob calls. Jacob calls her back at exactly the wrong time. If the plan was to pick up Javi and Bo at 1.30 a.m., then Becky would have been driving down to Nick Corline's house when Jacob tries to call her back at 1.26 a.m. She misses the call. At 2.20 a.m., it looks like Becky calls her phone to check her voicemail, and then it's radio silence until 8.35 in the morning. And that's where we ended things last week. Now we're going to take a quick break and take this thing across the finish line. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Saturday morning, we have Bo's statement that he and Javier left Becky's house at 8.11 a.m. Javier told police that Becky had a biology class at COD Saturday morning, and that's why they all left her house. What I want to try to corroborate or sort out here is Bo's statement from the morning after the murders. He told Detective Bumpensero that on Saturday morning, at some point, he, Javier, and Becky were all in Javier's house, in his room specifically, and Javier was on the phone talking to his mom. While Javi was on the phone, Becky got a phone call and ran out of the room and was yelling at whoever called her. Bo said, quote, Javi knew who it was. That's why he hung up the phone with his mom so he could listen or whatever, and she was yelling at somebody. If the story is accurate, then the person Becky was yelling at could only have been Jacob. Becky only actually speaks to one person on the phone Saturday morning. At 8.40 a.m., she calls Jacob, and they talk for six minutes. But there's no call to Javi's cell phone from his mom, but that doesn't mean he wasn't talking to her. Remember, he was at home, and this is 2006. They had a landline. So Javi could have been talking on the landline in his room, which also would explain why he had to hang it up to leave the room. because It wasn't a cell phone. He couldn't walk around with it. At the end of the day, we don't have exact corroboration for what Bo said, but he seemed to have a pretty vivid memory of Becky having this big argument on the phone at Javier's house on Saturday morning before she went to class. And we do see the longest conversation Becky has with Jacob all week occurring right in the window of time that fits. Now, this is how Jacob described the Saturday morning phone call to police. He says that he called Becky's cell when he woke up Saturday morning because he knew that she had class at 9 a.m. And that part's true. Jacob did call Becky's cell at 6.45 a.m. while she was still up the hill. In his version of events, he called Becky and she answered, and they chatted for a couple minutes. That part is not true. 
Like I said, Becky was up the hill when he called and had no service. In reality, what happened is she called him back at 8.40 from Javier's house. He describes the call like this, quote, It was real brief. It was a two-minute conversation. I, I said I'm real sorry I missed your calls last night, and I, I passed out early, fell asleep, and then I'll call you up later on today. Something unintelligible. She said, okay, I'm ready right now. I'm with your cousin, and that was pretty much it. So Bo says Becky was yelling at the person on the phone so much that Javier hung up on his mom to go listen. Jacob says it was a casual two-minute conversation, and Becky's phone records say that it was a six-minute conversation. Your perspective all depends on who you think should be controlling Becky's narrative. It looks like Becky's bio class must have run from 9 to 11, because her phone is inactive during that time. Then at 11, it picks up again with text back and forth with Janelle and Javier. It doesn't look like she was with Javi at least between noon and 4 p.m. They have several calls and texts back and forth during those four hours. But really, there are just two things that we're trying to corroborate for the rest of Saturday before we wrap this up. Robert and Christian both told police that Becky stopped by Christian's house that evening, and Javier said that Austin Alba had an argument with Becky at Denny's that night. So first up, let's look at the trip to Christian's house. Robert wasn't asked about what time Becky stopped by, but Christian was. He said that after work, around 6.30, Robert went over to Christian's mom's house. He said they ate some salmon and they hung out. Then Robert talked to Becky and she arranged to stop by. Christian says that another half hour or so went by before she showed up. He guesses around 7.30. He said that he remembers the sun was about to set, so 7 or 7.30 fits in that window when it would have been getting dark. In the phone records, Becky calls Robert at 5.47 p.m., and he calls her right back, then she calls him again. None of the calls look like they connected, they're all under 30 seconds. They then switch over to texting and exchange two texts apiece between 6.02 and 6.06 p.m., which would have been right about the time Robert was heading home from work. At 6.27 p.m., Robert calls Becky's cell, and again, it doesn't look like it connected, it's under 30 seconds. At 6.35, Becky checks her voicemail and then calls Robert. They talk for just over three minutes. According to Christian's timeline, this would have been just as Robert was arriving at his mom's house. Then, at 7.09, Becky calls Robert again. They talk for about a minute and a half. And I'm thinking this would be the call when they arrange for Becky to stop by. If Christian's right on his times, then it would add up. He overhears the call at 7.09, and about a half hour later, she shows up. On Becky's record, she makes a three-minute call to Javier at 7.20. This could be while she's on her way to Christian's. Then there's a 40-minute gap with no activity on Becky's phone from 7.25 to 8.05. This looks like the window when she stopped by and talked to Robert and Christian. Then at 8.05, Becky texts Robert, and they text back and forth a few times until 8.12, and then that's the last contact with Robert until Sunday evening. So it certainly looks like the visit to Christian's house at the very least could have happened. The phone records seem to line up with both their stories. But what happens next is really interesting. We discussed in Friday's follow-up that it seemed unlikely, if not impossible, for the I Forgot My Shirt call to have happened on Sunday night. It's already not in the phone records, and according to Javier, she didn't start work that night until 11 p.m., and we know that she was dead by 9.56 p.m. at the very latest. But I think the call actually did happen, but it didn't happen on Sunday. It happened on Saturday night. After the text to Robert, Becky calls John's cell phone, John Hayward, her stepdad. 
That call doesn't go through, and then she calls her landline right after that. This is at 8.14 p.m. The call lasted for just over two minutes. Then we have a gap of two hours. Her phone is dark from 8.14 p.m. to 10.12 p.m. During that time, Javier calls Denny's at 9.18 p.m. I don't know why. Presumably, he's calling looking for Becky. And we have that two-hour gap, which is actually plenty of time for Becky to have run home for a bit. There are two calls to Becky's cell during that window that have no duration, like they didn't even connect and no tower is listed. Then at 10.12 p.m., her phone comes back into cell range and she calls Denny's. It's a one-minute conversation. This almost has to be the I Forgot My Shirt call. Whether or not she actually forgot her shirt, I don't know. But the call logs allow for time for her to have gone back to her house to get it. Another 33 minutes passes before she uses her phone again. That's enough time if she called right when she got a signal at 10.12. That's about a third of the way down the mountain when you get the signal. Then turned around, got home, grabbed her shirt, left again. She could have been back to that same spot by 10.45. She would have been moving pretty quick, but she could have done it and probably made it to Denny's just a little bit after 11. But the kink here is that Javier says that he drove her to work that night. Now, he says it's because he didn't want her driving her car, but I call BS on that. She has been driving her car all over creation that week, including driving Javier to Sky Valley in her car to get her phone Thursday morning. If she did, in fact, go home that night before work, then she would have had to have driven right past Denny's to get to Javier's house for him then to turn around and drive her back to work. I'm not saying that he didn't drive her to work. I'm just saying that the bad brakes excuse is total bullshit. I think he was trying to come across like a knight in shining armor to the police. At 10.45, Becky texts Javier, and he texts her right back. Presumably, if this story is true, this would be arranging for Becky to drop her car off at Javier's house so he can then drive her to work. Which brings me to the last major event of the week before the day of the murders. Javier said that Austin Alba caused a scene with Becky at work that night. And Austin himself said that he saw Becky at Denny's a couple days before she was killed. But we've all been looking at Saturday night for the assault, because that's what Javier said. But a closer look at his statement reveals that he was picking her up from work, not dropping her off. Which means that the argument took place around 4 in the morning on Sunday, not 11 p.m. on Saturday which, in Javi's defense, still feels like Saturday night, even though it's technically Sunday morning. Unfortunately, there's nothing in the call logs to prove or disprove the story. The only people using their phones that we have records for at that time are Becky, Javier, and Josh Ernie. We don't have Austin's cell phone records. It appears that Javier picked Becky up just after 4.36 a.m., They're texting and calling each other off and on all night until then. And I'm not going to spend the time breaking down Sunday's records because we've already done that and covered them ad nauseum. But there is something that I do want to point out before I close. Robert told police that Becky told him there would be another guy coming on the hike with them on Sunday night. If that's true, we have to wonder who could that be. That could be Javier, and I've made that point. Despite what he told police, everyone else in his life says that he was purposefully going up to Becky's house that night for the purpose of going to Becky's house before she told him never mind. He wasn't just driving around. 
So Javier is a distinct possibility. But if it wasn't Javier, but there was another guy, who was it? She didn't talk to Jacob all day. In fact, she didn't talk to any other guys all day, except one. He called Becky at 4.50 in the morning, and she called him back a minute later, and they talked for over a minute. Then Becky called him two more times just after noon that day. Then he called her at 4.06 p.m., and then she called him and talked to him for about three minutes on her way up to the house at 4.14 p.m., just before she was murdered. He's a new character that we hadn't seen on the call records all week until this day, but he ended up being the last person Becky spoke with on her cell phone as she headed home. Could the mystery hiker be Josh Ernie? That's next week on Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Edited by Kelly Barron's Brink and sound engineered by Shane Yoder. All music for the show was created, composed, and scored by PutThemInASong.com, who also mixed and mastered this episode. All of our fonts across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design, and you can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Kay Woodyomnick, Ginger Fiola, Erica Cantor, Danielle Rohr, Jennifer Ford, Courtney Wimberly, and Melissa Cardenas. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in several ways. To financially support the show, the best thing you can do is just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You'll not only be supporting the show, but you'll get something in return. On Patreon, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes bonus video content every week. Then other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also do us a huge favor by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the brands that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page on Facebook. And for all you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. And I can be found personally on all forms of social media at BobRuffTruth. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice. The Ford Ranger, a vehicle for all terrains and every passion. It's a workmate, a playmate, and to its drivers, a soulmate. So how do you improve the Ford Ranger? You go all in. The all-new Ford Ranger, the UK's best-selling pickup. 
Now available with rear bumper steps, tailgate workbench, and enlarged load box that can fit a Euro pallet. Go break it in. Search all new Ford Ranger. Ford Pro. Driving productivity. According to SMMT data, features may be optional extras with additional cost.